This is Delilah S. Dawson, and you are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Well, we have one of those new talking machines. Now that is something. It plays music right here in our home. Progress is something we can't take for granted. Progress takes a lot of people wanting it and willing to work for it. You are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... And somebody like Jules, who's just a farm boy who quit his job and doesn't know what to do with the rest of his life, is is in this crux. And I think that for especially teen readers, um, since it is a, you know, YA novel, um, you get to this moment when you're 18 and you're at, you're at this line of your life where you're like, well, what do I do now? And I think that that is the question that both Izzy and Jules had to ask themselves, uh, when they are reunited. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Sherry Sondheimer. Welcome back to another episode of the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We are online at thegbbpodcast.com and therorbots.com. You can find us on socials, um, I guess, at the GBB Podcast and Roarworthy. I am Jamie Green, and you can find me at the Roarbots and... And I'm Sherry Sondheimer, and you can find me at SW Sondheimer on Twitter and irate underscore Corvus on Instagram. How you doing, Sherry? I'm good. It's been a while since we've done one of these, we were just saying, and um, I guess that's only makes sense for people who are like waiting on pins and needles for new episodes to drop or <laughs> who are subscribed to us. And they're like, where have they been? Uh, but if you're just kind of picking and choosing from the back catalog or if you're listening to this like a year from now... Um, yeah, none of this makes sense. That's why I can. I, it always bothers me when podcasters are like, "Well, we took a couple weeks off," because nobody really knows, you know. I mean, unless you're like serial and everybody's waiting for that next episode. <laughs> well, it's mostly Jamie's fault since he was at the bottom of the Grand Canyon for. A I month. was. I actually went on vacation this summer, and um, I just needed to take uh, a break, and so we took a few weeks off of the podcast. And I guess now we're back. I cannot guarantee that we're going to be back every single week like we had been but i'm gonna do my best to bring you guys the best conversations we possibly can with all the creators that you have come to know and love from the great big beautiful podcast but this week uh we have a fantastic conversation with zoraida cordova um star wars fans probably know her now as the author of one of the two new novels set in the galaxy's edge um, corner of the galaxy, I guess. Galaxy's Edge is the theme park land that has just opened at Disneyland and at Hollywood Studios in Florida. Uh, and uh, Zoraida's book is called A Crash of Fate. And I'll let you talk in a second here, but what I just wanted to quickly say one of the things that I loved about this book is that... How do I say it? It's what I've been wanting from the Star Wars franchise for years, but it is not at all what I thought I wanted, if that makes any sense at all. So I have been I have been really wanting the storytellers in the Star Wars universe to branch out, to tell us more stories, because this is such a huge galaxy with so many characters. 
why are we always telling stories and filling in the cracks of Luke and Han and Leia and Rey and Kylo and all these characters that we know from the films? Um, why are we just filling in those cracks with known quantities? Why don't we just start fleshing out the universe with completely new characters, completely new stories that are only tangentially related to what we already know, which is exactly what this is. But on the flip side of that, it's like it's a YA teen romance novel, which is not at all what I thought I was going to get out of Star Wars ever, but I really loved it. Well, it's it's a... It's a smaller story, and I don't mean that in a way to diminish it. I just mean that a lot of the Star Wars books are these giant epics with Star Destroyers and space battles and, you know, thousand-year vendettas. And this is a story about two people who knew each other when they were kids and meet again as adults. And it takes place over the course of a single day. Right. Which is also something that you don't usually get from Star Wars because it's, you know, it's either a, a heist story, which takes a long time to plan and get into place. Or like you said, it's this long generations spanning epic that, um, you know, you need generations of characters to tell. This is a you're right. It's, it's a it's a it's an intimate story of two characters in one day. And I believe we even talked about this, that it was sort of like the before sunrise of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yep. We did. And for those of you who don't know her from Star Wars, um, Zoraida also writes uh, the Brooklyn Bruja series, which in a way is similar. It's about individuals in this much bigger magical world. Yeah. Um, and she's got she's a lo- very good at that. And, and she's got a lot more coming, too. I mean, it, it, it amazes me when people are as prolific as she appears to be, because not only does she write, you know, her science fiction and her and her fantasy, she writes under a pen name and writes romance as well. Romance, yep. Which I've read a couple of, and they're very good. Yeah. <laughs> and recently, she just revealed the cover. She's got a middle grade book coming out. Yep. So um, I love it. I love when, I mean, this this was my first exposure to her. I know you knew her before A Crash of Fate came out. You knew her writing. Yes. You knew her books. I'm- I a big fan of the Brooklyn Brujas. And actually, before we talked to her, I read her other trilogy, which is, how did she describe it? It's a reverse Little Mermaid. So mm. instead of being about a mermaid princess who wants to live on land, it's about a 17-year-old boy who discovers he's the Sea King's grandson and has to become a mermaid and go lead the mermaid world. Uh, the Vicious Deep is the first one, and that's also the name of the trilogy. Okay, because that sounds pretty awesome. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I read all three books while I was in California for a week. Wow. Yeah, so. but we've, we've established that you are a speed reader. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> uh, but I, this was my first, it was a reading of Crash of Fate was my first exposure to Zoraida Cordova um, as an author. And uh, I think... I think one of the best things to come out of the new, I always hate to say the new canon, but the new books that, that, are, that are being written in the Star Wars universe is that they're making a concerted effort to seek out writers who might not have had a chance at writing Star Wars in the old Legends timeline. 
because it seemed like in Legends it was a lot of the same types of writers or it was the, um, they fit into a very specific bucket. Um, whereas the stories that Middle are... Middle-aged white men <laughs> is the bucket. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but it seems like a lot of the authors now, um, they're really getting a diverse... a diversity of voices, if that makes sense. Like the way that they write and what they write about away from Star Wars. Um, and I think that's kind of the whole point probably of what of what they're trying to do and they're exp- um you know giving these voices a chance to tell stories in star wars but likewise they're giving readers of star wars that opportunity to read authors they may not have otherwise which is that that's being reflected at least in the animation and i'm hoping it will be reflected in upcoming movies i know you and i were a little iffy on resistance mm-hmm. um when it started but i ended up watching the whole thing and not only did it end up being very, very good, mm-hmm. uh, that is one of the most diverse Star Wars casts I've ever seen. Yeah. And didn't they just win a whole bunch of Saturn Awards? They did. They did. Mm-hmm. Um, so yay, Star Wars. We love them. Yay! We still love it. <laughs> uh, but I'm, we're going to stop. We're going to go right into our conversation here. We talked to Zoraida um, a lot about A Crash of Fate, obviously, because it's the, the most recent um I don't even know if it's her most recent book anymore. I think something else has it come is, out. I think. Um, but we talk a lot about that. But we do, um, we, we, we talk about the Vicious Deep. We talk about the Brooklyn Brujas. We talk about lots of um, other stuff that she is writing and has written. And it's a great conversation. So I hope you guys stick around and enjoy it all the way through. Thank you guys for coming back week after week. Uh, when we're here week after week, we really do appreciate it. If you don't subscribe, please click subscribe. If you don't talk about us or tell other people how awesome we are, you might want to do that because we're pretty awesome. Uh, until then, I am Jamie Green. You can find me at the Roarbots. You can find the show at the GBB Podcast and Roarworthy on Twitter. And I am Sherry Sonheimer, and you can find me at SW Sonheimer on Twitter and irate underscore Corvus on Instagram. Thanks a lot, guys. We will see you next week. Here is our conversation with Zoraida Cordova. I want to jump back just a little bit. Um, I know you've probably been talking a lot about Star Wars recently, so we are going to start with Star Wars. We'll go on to other things, but I wanted to jump back a little bit with Star Wars, and I wanted to ask about your your short story in the From a Certain Point of View anthology. Um, yeah. That, from what I understand, we've talked to a number of authors who have who were involved in that book, and from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys had kind of free reign over your stories and what you could write about. It was kind of first come, first served. And your story was about the Tonica sisters, which was a super deep cut. So I want to know, was that were they your first choice or, or did you have to settle for them? No, they were my first choice. I when I when this opportunity came to me, um, I was like so ready to sign up you know how do i sign up quickly right um and they gave me a master sheet that everyone had access to where you sort of you picked your characters and i came in after a lot of people had already um selected and there were still some really good you know there were like some prime choices like chewy was available <laughs> and but i was like you know do i really how how does a wookie think you know yeah. and 
I, I, I felt like that was like too much pressure for my first Star Wars. <laughs> um, but also the, the Tonica sisters were not on the list. And um, um, I, I pitched the editor and I asked her if I could write from the, because I, I rewatched A New Hope. And after watching A New Hope, I was like, who are these two women? They're the only like female presenting women in the cantina at mm-hmm. this moment and they're only there for like t- less than 10 seconds so but they they're still you know cos they're still every time i go to a star art convention like there's somebody cosplaying sure. them so they're they're have they, they're iconic in their own way and i wanted to know more about them and then i found out that they were in um uh, they gave me the material that they were in, which was uh, another anthology from the Legends mm-hmm. um, uh, Cantina collection, right. which I think Tim Zahn wrote that story. Oh, um, okay. But it, 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 there was a different, you know, there was a different take on them. Like the the women at the Cantina were not actually them; there were two other sisters pretending to be them. Uh, so, so it did, was. I'm sorry to interrupt, like but did lot. did they like give you that like that the previous story and say like? Was that just sort of research or was that like, this is how it's been done before? It was, was, yeah, it was just research. It was, uh, this is what exists and you can create your own version because obviously that's not canon anymore. So I was like, okay, great. They are the Tonica sisters. That's it. (laughs) Let's just streamline this. (laughs) Let's make it a lot simpler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I had a lot of fun writing it. Um, It was pretty scary having, you know, feeling like, you wanted to do a good job and, um, you know, pay homage to this, this, you know, anniversary, 40th anniversary. So, so if that was sort of, I guess, dipping your toe into the world of star Wars, a crash of fate is more like you're just doing a big cannonball into the deep end. Yeah. Creatively. How did those two experiences compare? (laughs) I mean, other than, I think I had about the same amount of time to write, (laughs) My short story as I did the novel. That sounds about right. We've heard that about Star Wars novels before. Yeah. Didn't didn't DJ tell us he had like six months to write it? Pretty much everybody to a T has said, (laughs) from the time they told me go, I had like six months till the book was off press. You know, it was crazy. Yeah. Like from from start to finish, I think, uh, you know, they approached me in August and then we had a final copy going to art going to like print by may Jeez. so it was um and and so many people look at it because you know you don't want you don't want mistakes you don't want continuity errors you don't mm-hmm. want you don't want to like you don't want to f up so um it, it's it's not like it's done carelessly it's definitely done with a ton of eyes on it right um <laughs> but the, the 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 biggest difference was that you get to walk into my book. Yeah. If you go to Galaxy's Edge. Right. And that <laughs> I is I was just there. What it was what so was your cool. Part? Um I kept thinking that Izzy and Jules were gonna like run by up to that ship that's <laughs> near the Falcon, like uh-huh. up on the landing pad. Uh-huh. I was like, something's missing. <laughs> <laughs> I was there with Delilah a couple of weeks ago and she got to recreate um, her cover for Black Spire with uh, one of the cast members, with Vi Marathi herself, yeah. um, in the same location where you could see the, you know, the 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 structure, 
And that was really cool for her and for all of us watching. And, and, and for you, too, because, I mean, the story, your, your book was set there, too. I mean, that, that's got to be surreal. You know, that's not something every author is able to do, you know, just to no. literally step into the world where their book takes place. And so you didn't get to you didn't get to go before your book came out, did you? No, that was really difficult. Um, I think that, you know, obviously we had all of these materials. We had access to documents, like a 180-page PDF uh, that had uh, maps and images and character character profiles and um, all sorts of things that were relevant to the creation of Batu. Um, and they were so detailed and so informative. Um, and translating that into book form um, was was sort of like like you're playing in somebody else's sandbox, but then you're you're making the sandbox bigger yourself just mm-hmm. by nature of creating your own characters. And as soon as I turned the corner, where Doc Anders' den is, I was so relieved because I was like, yes, I described this correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it, you know, I, I think that that was a really wonderful experience. Did you and Delilah like, not collaborate, but did you guys share notes at all in terms of how you describe certain places? You know, I think that we, there could have been, places where, I mean, we could have, like, synced the stories up so much more, mm-hmm. but I don't think that that's the point mm-hmm. of um, the stories that we were telling. You know, she, her book is leading up to episode nine, right. and my book is is a story that takes place within those, the the period that the resistance is on, on, on the base. And um, we, there were moments where, you know, we, we talked to each other about our timelines because hers takes place at the very beginning of the resistance arriving on Batu, whereas my book takes place at the tail end right before the rise of the resistance uh, starts. Um, and the only thing we had to make sure of was that we didn't, she didn't blow up anything that I needed later on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so you mentioned though, that you only basically had a few weeks to write the book um, so, I mean, when did Izzy and Jules' story first come to you? Like, how long had you been living with that story so you could pound it out in such a brief amount of time? Well, I work I work with an outline very strictly. Um, I make my own outline as I go, and that's how I work with all of the books, all of my novels. Um, I thought of Izzy and Jules right away. I'm definitely the, right, the kind of writer who... Th- comes up with their character fully fledged before Mm. I go into a story. Um, But the wonderful thing about writing a book set on Batu is that the more that I found out about the world, the more I could shape my characters, right? So like what kind of person is Jules who decided to stay on Batu, even though he is of age to be able to go anywhere? Um, and what kind of person is Izzy who makes the choices that she makes in order to survive, right? And and what like what are the things that lead her to want to remain on Batu even though she could she could just cut ties and go? Mm-hmm. So, I, 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 how 
how do I how do I put this? Like this is probably true of every franchise that whenever a writer um, gets involved with it, with an existing IP or a franchise, not just Star Wars, but I think it's probably more pronounced among Star Wars fans. But every fan probably has that one thing that they absolutely want to add to the mythology if they're given the chance. And you were given the chance. So, like, what was your one thing when you sat down and you said, okay, Izzy and Jules, this is my story. I could see these characters. This is fantastic. But what was that one thing, that your lasting stamp on Star Wars that you knew you wanted to get in there? Uh, I think I wanted to have a romance with a happy ending. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> There's so few of them. <laughs> There's so few of them. I'm like, I was thinking, I was reading Dark Disciple the other day, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I want a... to set something on fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you know, Lost Stars is my favorite um, of the of the new canon novels. So, uh, you know, that's another one where yeah. I'm like. Oh, it ended. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Claudia Gray. <laughs> That's why I liked. Um, I liked Last Shot because you found out that um, it's been out long enough. I feel like I can say this. Um, Sinjir and Condor actually ended up together and they were happy. And I was like, Yay! <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. No. So I wanted to do that. Um, I got to create my own moons, which I was like, if I were to travel in space, I would want to go to a moon that's like completely pink it's all pink quartz or something like that um and just um you know make up my own species which was awesome to be able to have the go-ahead to do that um and I think that uh one of the great things about Lucasfilm publishing uh selecting from this like new pool of authors or they're new to the Star Wars fans um is that everyone is adding something that only they can add to the mm-hmm. galaxy. Um, and so I feel really fortunate to be able to do that. It's tended to be a galaxy of epics and a crash of fate is a much more personal story. What made that attracted to you? Um, I think that we wanted to show the, um, the way that regular people live on this outpost, right? So the galaxy is always going to be in turmoil. There's always a war happening somewhere and everyone has to keep going, or, you know, doing their day-to-day activities. People still have to make a living. They still have to survive. They still have to um, take jobs. You know, n- the work doesn't stop just because the First Order is on is on the planet or because the resistance is hiding. It's more about um, the choices that they make, uh, um, the choices that lead to to change on the outpost. How are things changing for the people that live there? Even if they're minuscule, it's like the you know the occupation of um, of Europe uh, during World War II. Um, how did how did people just keep going on about their days? And and obviously, like the First Order on Batu, they're 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 recruiting and so are so are the resistance it's just one of them is doing it out in the open um and somebody like jules who's just a farm boy who quit his job and doesn't know what to do with the rest of his life is is in this crux and i think that for especially teen readers 
um, since it is a, you know, YA novel, um, you get to this moment when you're 18 and you're at, you're at this line of your life where you're like, well, what do I do now? And I think that that is the question that both Izzy and Jules had to ask themselves uh, when they are reunited. Mm-hmm. The, uh, what really appealed to me as I was reading it is I, I realized, I don't think I realized this going into the book, but I definitely realized it as I, as I was reading it, was that this is exactly the kind of story that I have been asking for that i have been looking for in star wars for years if not we talked about this after we both read it if not decades it's that now i don't think specifically i was looking for a teen romance um (laughs) i I loved it but that's not what i was looking for i was i mean the star wars galaxy is so big and it is so huge and what we are given time and again as fans are stories about these characters we already feel like we know so well. You know, the, the, and obviously because that's what's marketable. You know, so the films we get, the books we get, the comics we get, they explore unexplained moments in characters' lives that we already know so much about. And I was always a champion of, of wanting stories that explored what we haven't explored. Parts of the universe, parts of the galaxy, characters, species, planets that we have heard nothing about or maybe only a passing reference to. Um, and, and that's what A Crash of Fate does so well is that it really expands this horizon of Star Wars storytelling. Um, and it also Thank kind you. of it, it breaks down these expectations that I think a lot of fans had going in. Like, oh, I know what Star Wars is. Star Wars is X. And you finish this book and you'd be like, well, that wasn't X. That was definitely Y and Z. You know, that was something (laughs) totally mind blowing. That was different. Um, Was any of that in your head while you were writing that you were really charting uncharted territory, at least as far as the last few years of, of, of Star Wars storytelling? I think that my my editor, Jen and I, we both knew that this was like different than some of the other Star Wars novels and not in like that, you know, like I'm not like other girls. It's like not in that way, (laughs) Um, but more in that um, this story can really stand on its own. You know, you don't have to read, uh, you don't, you don't have to watch the movies if you're, if you've never seen a Star Wars and, you know, we're all watching like new people come into the fandom. um, And if they're afraid to read a Star Wars book, um, like maybe you can pick up, Uh, a crash of fate and then jump into lost stars and then jump into um last shot and thrawn and all of these things and i think that um i was really aware of writing a story that remained true to the kind of writer that i am Mm -hmm. while also um while also making sure that I pay homage to this like incredible history and legacy of star Wars, star Wars authors. Um, because I love, um, I love the books and I love that, um, I can, uh, pick up a novel and read the history of Han Solo. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think that the, the function of this book is to introduce you to new people mm-hmm. and a world that we have never been before. Um, so that's some of that. Yeah. 
God, and, and I really like. I close. I finished the book, and I was like, "Thank you." Like that is exactly what I've been looking for. I didn't even know it, but that was exactly what I was looking for. And I really hope we see a lot more of that. You know, especially now that episode nine, or once episode nine, sort of wraps up that story. Theoretically, that's what we were all assuming is going to do. That I feel like we're going to see a lot more of these types of stories that are exploring just like different corners of the galaxy that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited for a lot of the things that are going to come out from, from Lucasfilm publishing. Yeah. As a fan, what kinds of stories do you hope we see more of? Like what, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know, the, the new generation of Jedi, if we get it right. Like I have no idea, uh, what, what, <laughs> no idea what episode nine is going to like hold is in store for us but i do think that you know there are going to be other force sensitive people in in the galaxy there have to be so who are those guys um um who are those people so um i would love to see that um I want to see more found family stories in the same way that we have you know ray poe and finn um and and developing the, you know, those kinds of friendships. Like what are those gangs look like? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's an exciting time because it's like, we're getting, we're getting the end of one story, but at the same time, I feel like the beginning of so many other stories. So it'll be exciting to see what happens in December, right? <laughs> that's what, that's yeah. what everybody's waiting on right now. <laughs> we're all, we're all on pins and needles. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So let's connect your other books a little bit. Um, you've also written the Brooklyn Brewhouse series. Yes. And the Vicious Deep series, which I just read while I was on vacation. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> what parts of those do you feel like you pulled from to write a book where you're talking about sort of another magical system, like like the Force, the force um, yeah. if we're ignoring the prequels, which everyone should. Um, <laughs> the, the force is pretty magical. Um, you seem really comfortable working in these magic systems. What's appealing about them for you? Um, I think it's the idea that there is something... I don't, I don't always like explaining magic. Um, I think that some people just have a specific belief. Um, I mean, I did write a magical system in the Brooklyn Bruja series, so I had to sort of explain it, but... At the end of the day, like the the belief is in is in of my witches um, is in like something that's really ancestral, um, and I think that it's the same thing with the force, where it's it's this thing that exists and you don't have to quantify it um, or try to break it down and figure it out down to the molecule. Um, one of the things that I brought from my uh, my young adult novels is um, I wanted to, in The Vicious Deep, I wrote about a teenage boy who's, like, kind of a jerk, and he's a lifeguard, and he becomes, like, a merman. And I wanted to write the inversion of The Little Mermaid. Um, so I think that I like reversing gender roles and tropes like that. So when it came to Izzy and Jules, I knew that I wanted her to be the aspiring smuggler, uh, scoundrel type, and I wanted him to be uh, a soft space boy. So <laughs> <laughs> I love that. My pages are sticking. 
Um, what magical creature is next on your list? What ma oh, oh, like if to write? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually, I, I have a few. So I'm working on my first middle grade novel. Um, it's done. It's coming out uh, in June, June 2nd of 2020. And it's called The Way to Rio Luna. And um, it's with Scholastic. And it's about a boy who... Uh, his sister's like been missing for two years and he's the only person who believes that she's uh, somewhere out there and they had all they had made a pact to find fairyland and their fairy line fairyland is called Rio Luna uh, and he finds this book and she was the last person to check it out from the library hmm. and the book comes to life and it becomes a map that leads him to this magical place and so um, in along the way they meet this like jackalope who is like five feet tall and he's like a prince of this fairyland uh so i've always been enamored with jackalopes uh <laughs> because they're ridiculous right it's like a bunny with horns but my jackalope is really tall and uh the first time that i discovered one was when i was in montana uh for college and i went to the store with my friend um and it was like all it was like knives and huckleberry jam this is just like a store for like <laughs> for those two things and and then on the wall there was there was a jackalope and i was like what is that and she told me the story and like i thought it was real for like 12 hours <laughs> until i realized that it was not a real thing um but i've always sort of had them in the back of my mind and so when i was and i had the opportunity to write a middle grade novel uh, that was the magical creature that I wanted to include for, for real. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> um, why do you think, as a writer, you landed primarily in YA? You do write some adult novels. I do. But... I, do I do write adult romance novels. Yes. Um, I think that YA is like, the exploration of firsts in a way that we can't relive them as adults. Um, and I really like the, like exploring those emotions and the first times you, like the first time you, you realize you're in love with your best friend, except you're on this planet in wild space and you're being chased by, you know, pirates. Um, I think that I started writing, when I was 13 and very serious about, I sent my first query letter when I was 17 uh, for a, my finished novel, uh, which was awful. I recently reread it, <laughs> but you know, you're 16. What, yeah, what we've perfect. all made that. It... We've all made that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, you know, I, so I, I, I was on this trajectory from very, very early on. I'm 32 now and I think that my voice always stayed in YA. Um, I think that the, the only thing that sets young adult and adult is, apart is that you make the choice to write for teens. Like, you know that that is your audience. Um, it, it has nothing to do with, like, it also it has nothing to do with, like, dumbing something down. You know, I think, like, teens are incredibly smart and, like, very discerning with the things that they enjoy so um i never want to forget what that voice sounds like um so for now for now that's that's what i've been sticking with and what i like to write 
um, I will write adult fiction one day. It's just, I mean, it, you know, in the next two years, I have an adult novel coming out. It's and I always have to remind myself uh, of when it comes to pacing because pacing is so much faster in young adult novels and in genre novels uh, specifically. But I think that there's something really special and in young adult and young adult is about hope. And I think star Wars is about hope. So at the end of the day, those two things go very well together. Do you, do you make um, the conscious, is it a conscious choice to write for different audiences and across genres, like just to keep those creative muscles going like that? Like, Cause they, they scratch different itches and they, they let you write about different things. Is that to keep, the writing process interesting for you or do you just get ideas and then you just kind of like put them in a bucket for for lack of a better term like that this idea is great but it's it's for adults or this idea is great but I can I can cast it with a teenage protagonist kind of I think that so no okay how do I phrase this um I I recently had an idea where I the protagonist is probably young like they're probably 18 19 but i know it's going to be an adult novel because of the like it's going to be extra violent and extra uh gory and it's not that teens can't handle that it's that i'm no longer explaining somebody who is experiencing these things for the first time Mm -hmm. um and I think that, and and the the remainder, the the rest of the cast is going to be older as well. So I, it would not fall into into teen. It would be an adult book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that I know when I'm going to write a teen book. I know when I'm going to write a teen book. When I, uh, when I choose my when my protagonist comes to me, and I think I. It, I don't know how to explain it other than, like, my character just appeared to me fully fledged in my head. And then I tell their story. Um, do your characters appear outside of a story? Or, like, do, do, you, do you get a character fully fl- fleshed out in your mind that exists in a vacuum? Or does that character automatically have a story that goes with him or her? Um... Hold on, I have to fix this volume thing. That I don't know how to turn off my uh, my messages from beeping. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> um, okay. Um, can you repeat the question? <laughs> I was asking because you say you have characters appear to you fully fleshed out and in, in, in your yes. mind. So, I, for example, my first novel, my my debut novel, The Vicious Deep. Um, I was, I was at Coney Island in Brooklyn. Uh, Coney Island is famous for the Mermaid Parade. Uh, everything is mermaid themed. Mm-hmm. The you know the boardwalk, the um, hot dogs. Nathan's, they are not made Nathan's. out. Of, they're not. Yes, they're, but they are not made out of mermaid. Um, <laughs> I think. Uh, My kids go fishing with hot dogs though, and they always catch something. So there you go. <laughs> Mermaids do enjoy them. Uh, you know, there's the mermaid parade in the aquarium, and and uh, the streets are all ocean and Neptune and Triton. Yeah. And so when I was, I I had told a friend earlier that month where I was like, I I want to read this kind of mermaid novel, but I can't find it. It's always like 
a mermaid rescuing a guy and then their tragic love story. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, well, why don't you just write it? And I said, yeah, why don't I? <laughs> why don't I? Right. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I was, dev- I was thinking about what it would be. And then I was at Coney Island and I saw this lifeguard and I was like, he's very attractive lifeguard, (laughs) (laughs) but also like, who is this? He just reminded me of something. And I started thinking like, who is this person? What if, what if mermaids return to Coney Island every 50 years? And then I started asking questions like, why would they even come back? Why, you know, what do they want? Mm -hmm. Um, And then who is this guy? Who is this, what if this lifeguard is a merman? And then, and then I started figuring out um, his backstory and his name just popped into my head. Um, And, and then I went from there asking questions about, about Tristan Hart and what, what he needs in the story. Like what is the story that he's going to be uh, traversing for the next like 330 pages, however long that book was. Um, It's also been like, eight years. So I don't <laughs> remember writing it anymore. Um, but it, it, I think that once I know what my character is, I figure out how, what is, what their place in their world is mm-hmm. and, and just go, the two things feed each other because they're, they influence their world, but their world also influences them. Got it. It's such a strange process. I was talking to my writing group about it the other day. Like, you see one thing and you get this idea, and then it's like lightning bolts firing in your head yeah. every time you see <laughs> something else that, even if it doesn't feel like it should fit, all of a sudden it fits somehow. And it's like alchemy, weird <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. And and when I when I was writing a crash of fate. Um, I, you know, I, it was funny because I pitched it to them in a weird way, uh, which I thought that they were, I had a bunch of other ideas and then I was like, I, we went with the first one. I didn't even have to go to the other ones. Um, I was like, do you remember that Ethan Hawke movie before sunrise? Mm. (laughs) And I was like, what about that? But in space. <laughs> oh my god! I would have accepted it right with that. That was it. Like you don't need to say anything else. Like I love that movie. I love all three of those movies. And like yes, accepted. Go write it. <laughs> and so I wanted to capture that like this twenty-four hour love story. Um, uh, and then and then I was like, who are these two people that are going to fall in love? And like, do they have a history? Um, and then I decided that I wanted them to have a history because, uh, you know, like giving up everything for somebody you meet like in a day is a little different than like falling some falling in love with somebody in Paris. Right. Um, and so, and then I, the first, the first chapter I wrote was the prologue, um, trying to figure out who they were as kids and that sort of stuck. Um, and knowing who they were as kids and who they became as, as adults, uh, or space adults, like teenagers, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know, help me formulate them. Yeah. Has your writing process changed at all since your first novel or is it still essentially the same? It's more manic now. Um, because back then I had all the time in the world to (laughs) write and edit my first novel. 
I also did an outline before I would just write whatever I wanted. Um, and I think you can tell that after reading my subsequent novels, uh, where I learned the beauty of an outline. Um, and I think that I have to outline, I would love to write another book without an outline, but while I have deadlines and contract novels, it's just, it saves me a lot of time. And I'm, and I still, I still have the exploratory part of being a writer where I decide I make changes that are not in the outline that I wrote a week ago. Right. Um, and I think that now I just, I, I, I have a shortcut to figuring out who my characters are as opposed to like waiting in this, in this like pool of like, Oh, who are they? You know, asking myself all these existential questions. Um, I think now I know, I know the exercises that I need in order to get to that, to get to like the, the heart of my character sooner. Is there another established franchise that you would just jump at the chance to write for? You know, I I was asked this yesterday at a on a panel and I I said supernatural. Okay. <laughs> um because I would love to write Sam and Dean and Castiel uh like in a comic book form, but I don't think that they're going to do that. <laughs> um I wanted to write I would love to write for Buffy. I know Buffy has some novels that come out. Um I love Marvel so much. And I would, I would have loved to write like, um, Bucky and Steve as teenagers, yes. or um, or something along those lines. Like, I also love Spider Man, but I think he's spoken for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's here's where I make um, a, a quick admission that I know it was on TV for like ten or eleven seasons or something, but I never saw a single episode of Supernatural. Should <laughs> I go back and start it? So I only yes. watched the first four seasons. That's fine. After five it just sort of Right? I, I'm literally watching because I enjoy looking at their faces for <laughs> forty five minutes. And that's um, entirely fair. And the entire time I'm going, what just happened? <laughs> I I don't know what happened this season. It's season 14. Yeah, oh my I, god, it's 14? Yes. I thought it was just 10. But still that's a lot. Don't you think if he's going to watch one episode though, he should watch Mystery Spot? Oh yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> so, I think that once the angels get involved, it becomes super weird. Um I think season 1 doesn't have a lot of direction as as like Season two is fantastic. It's like okay. aggressive and 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 brutal and has all the emotions all the time. Um, so I think that the first four seasons are really worth it. I I remember seeing the first season and then never watching it again. And then one day I was moving into my new apartment in Manhattan, and I I I had it. I was building my furniture. And, you know, like when it's Ikea, so you're going to put in something backward and have to undo it, the whole exactly. thing and right. redo sure. it. So sure. um, I, I watched the whole season again and I was like, and I wanted to keep going this time. And I don't know what changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love I love stories about families. I love stories about uh, uh, found friends and um, 
uh, chosen and family that you choose and uh, magical creatures and things like that. So it it was it, I realized it was like all of my like I was like this is my bag. Like yeah. I I'm I'm in I'm in for for, for, the, this. for the duration. All right, <laughs> do you I'll, have siblings? Do you have siblings? I have a younger brother. He's 27 and he lives with me. <laughs> so <laughs> even more for you. It's a great sibling dynamic because they absolutely love each other, would kill for each other, and they drive each other crazy. Yeah. And I just like me and my sisters all the time. <laughs> when I read, uh, when I, I'm sorry, when I wrote uh, the Brooklyn Bruja series, uh, the first two books are out. And when I wrote Labyrinth Lost, I was like, I wanted to capture that. You know, I wanted to capture those their uh this familial relationship uh with magic hmm. is there an eta for the third one yes um it is going to come out in august of next year and it is now in copy edits so, so if you if you want an arc just just email me <laughs> okay <laughs> she'll take you up on that <laughs> Um, a quick question, you know, you're talking about the, your love of stories that have a magical element and found family. Um, have you watched the new Dark Crystal yet? No, I haven't watched oh it yet. Oh my god. If, are, you a fan of the, so... are you a fan of the film, the original? Um, you know, I think that I watched it when I was younger and I never, it was never one of those things that I rewatched. Mm-hmm. But, um, I went, during San Diego Comic Con, there was a lot of stuff for it. Yeah. Um, and I... It just looks really beautiful, and it, I've heard really good things so far. It so. is probably the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen on Netflix. Um, I'm not going to get into it because it's totally off topic, but I adore it, and I can't get enough of it. And if you are a fan at all of the original and don't mind watching puppets, um, they're gorgeous <laughs> puppets. Um, it's I cannot recommend it highly enough. Okay, when you get off deadline, when your deadlines good. are filled. <laughs> yeah. Carnival Row also, I wasn't sure I was going to watch it and I like on the fourth episode and it's really good. Okay, good. I, I love Orlando. I, I do love Orlando Bloom. Um, so, you know, Leo less forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Finally, before, man. before we let you go, what color would be your lightsaber be? My lightsaber would probably be, is there a blue green crystal? I'm going to make it. It's going to be turquoise. Excellent. <laughs> I love it. Turquoise. <laughs> Zoraida, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I really had a good time. Thank you. This has been the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com and on Twitter and Facebook at thegbbpodcast. Thanks again for subscribing and listening. We really do appreciate it. And until next week, I am Jamie Green, and you can find me at The Roarbots. Take care.